Hey guys, and welcome to Candidly Crew. I'm your host, Chesley White. And I'm Marine Register. How's it going? It's going good. It's, we, it's been a while. It's been just a minute. Whenever we don't have the podcast, I feel like I don't see you. I know, and I don't like that as much. I know, but we were just talking about it. Turns out we're just enjoying our lives. We, which is great. <laughs> you know, like I am happy about that. What have you been doing? Uh, dating. And oh, yeah. How's that going? It's going really well. I like it. Um, turns out it's fun to do. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, when you've got a cool person to do it with. So that's trying great. a lot of restaurants and, and oh, that's a lot of fun. Um, oh, there's a new one coming that I want. I mean, Mr. Crisp. Well, yes, of okay. course. I definitely want to try that one. Um, and also um, the new dim sum place coming. <gasps> I know. Every time she has a pop up, I try and go to it. And every time it's either at the wrong time or when I can go, I check the Instagram and it's already sold out. Yes. So just so you know, we're very excited about this and we can't wait. Yes. To come. It's called what? Some bar? <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. They did a couple pops up at Ding Tea that I was going to try and go to. Had it all planned out, and then they sold out before I could get there. <laughs> I think I was out of town that week. That so. is exciting. So yeah. we'll definitely have to try that. But also, we should get lunch maybe in Agreed. the next couple of weeks. Agreed. Um, yep. Because recording. Um, <laughs> so. so we're so excited. Let's get back to the show, the, the focus yeah. of the show. Um, although it's been fun to catch up. Um, so we're so excited today to talk to Jennifer Muster, who is the Associate Vice President and the Greenville Office Manager of HDR. Um, it was just a blast to talk to her, and we knew it would be, and she's so much fun. What did, we, would you take away from the show? Well, I mean, I just want to say we went to San Diego for a crew convention, and that's where we really got to know Jennifer yep. three years ago, four years ago. Yep. And ever since then, I just wish I could spend way more time with Jennifer. So it was so nice to be able to sit down for an hour and talk about her job and how she thinks. And I feel like one of the things that I really loved is she talks about having to assess yourself strategically and be able to really look at your strengths and weaknesses and what you're doing day to day and how does that line up. And she mentioned uh, one thing that I'll be taking away is post-it notes of just what you really liked in a day or what you really didn't like in a day so that you can try and help yourself figure out what you want to do going forward. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. It just kind of takes that moment just to reflect for a second because we're just, everyone I'm sure is so busy right now just going from task to task to task, but it just helps you like step back for a second and say like, okay, like what did I like? What did I not like? And then that helps you direct your next step going forward. Yeah. The other thing I took away is that she has great blazers. (laughs) Also true. Yes. (laughs) We were all wearing blazers today, which I think we all agree is one of our favorite things to wear. Well, it's just so easy because you can wear jeans and a top and a blazer or a dress and a blazer (laughs) (laughs) or anything and a blazer. (laughs) And it just adds that professional touch to it. Right. Love it. We are business women and that's, that's exactly right. We love a blazer. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, we hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as we do. Um, And let's go ahead and bring her in. All right. All right, Jennifer. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. Oh, my gosh. We've been waiting to talk to you for so long. We're obsessed with you. (laughs) A lot of fun to be had. (laughs) Exactly. And we knew that. That's why we wanted to have you on. Um, But, yeah, so we wanted to talk about your career and just kind of get your story today. So why don't we start from the beginning? Um, You know, how did you get into commercial real estate? Sure. So I'm involved in commercial real estate, really on the infrastructure side of things. So maybe... A little tangential to a real estate deal, some would consider transportation into and out of a site or if there is adequate infrastructure in an area to support a site selection. Um, But that's definitely kind of how I'm involved in commercial real estate. How did I get involved in transportation? 
Um, so I went to college to be a civil engineer uh, about 20 years ago. Well, no, 25 years ago. Ugh. And so I got a civil engineering bachelor's and master's focused on structures. And so when I graduated, I went to work for a firm that did a lot of transportation projects. So my structures turned into bridges and pertinent roadway structures like culverts and retaining walls. Very exciting stuff. It is Truly. exciting. Very exciting. Okay, but well, where did you go to college? I went to USC in Columbia. Okay. okay. So that other school. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I was really a technical person for the early years of my career, learning to be a great designer. Um, I loved it. We actually used green sheets and wrote things down and used calculators, but it's changed dramatically. But I did love that part of my career. Um, but about five years in, we moved, my husband and daughter and I, to the upstate, and that was purely for personal reasons. He got a job opportunity. He's a high school football coach and athletic director. And, you know, I was able to move with my same firm, but it was definitely not, uh, you know, it wasn't like a great new opportunity for me to move necessarily, but it, it was for him. But very coincidentally, our firm was starting a design practice in what had traditionally been a field office um, of construction inspection, geotech um, surveys. And so it, it worked out for me to move. And that, um, that design group, really was going to focus on more things like site civil um, and site development, things like that. So probably a couple of years after I had moved here, we were doing some local projects and I met a local architect who said, you should join Crew Upstate. So that is how I became involved in Crew in yeah. particular and have really been a member ever since. But yeah, so I've been working on transportation projects from day one and involved kind of in that space for 20 years. With the same company? Or? With the same company. Um, so I started with a firm that was about 300 people. Again, we were Southeast focused. The home office was in Paducah, Kentucky, home of the Quilt Festival. <laughs> and um, But I was in Columbia, South Carolina. And then we got acquired. That was in 20, 2002 I started. But we got acquired in 2010 by a firm, another 300-person firm, um, ICA Engineering, that really focused on privatized asset maintenance. So they would maintain bridges, miles of highway, totally different business than engineering, design, construction plans, things like that. And in 2015, that firm was acquired by HDR, who at the time was about a 10,000-person global engineering firm. And um, since then, it's crazy, they have they no longer have the asset uh, maintenance part, but we have all stuck around. So wow, never left, but have worked for a variety of different types of company, just the same. Wow. So so let's break that down a little bit in your many years there. Mm -hmm. You know, like your first role when you came in, were you a project manager? What are, you know, just a civil engineer? What what did that look like, what you were doing then compared to what you're doing now? Oh, really different. So definitely started, again, on the very technical side of things. Right. So I saw a small slice of a transportation project, which was structure design. Okay. So I was at my desk doing calculations, checking calculations, doing construction plans. So from there, I became, a, you know, a structures task leader and then from there, a project manager. And so obviously transportation projects, even just a bridge replacement has a roadway component, a hydraulic component, geotech, uh, traffic. So, you know, becoming a project manager is a big step for anybody doing one of the disciplines in transportation, just like any other other type of project. But um, so I did that for quite a few years and I'm still doing that today. So mm -hmm. I still have projects that I manage and most of which are for SCDOT. Um, I also serve as a project principal for a lot of our local projects, which is just more higher level oversight and things like that. And then also manage our office here. And that involves a variety of other 
Yes. What is like um, you said, it's it's a big step to move from doing the work right to managing the work. Yes. What did you find to be that hardest jump? So it was really just managing the financial component and engineers are not always as concerned with finances, I have found. <laughs> um, and they want to do it a way. They want to do it the best way, the right way. And structural engineers in particular will engineer something to death. And I mean, we could stew on something over and over again, but that is not cost effective. And I do work for a for-profit company. So, <laughs> but really, that just understanding that side of the business and balancing um, schedules and finances with getting deliverables done. Yeah. How do you keep yourself from overthinking, especially from a structural component that seems like you'd want your structural engineer to be really, you know, risk adverse? You would. You would. And I think I think there is a little more tolerance for structures because of that very life safety um, thing. You know, I think it just comes with experience, understanding nothing is perfect. No set of plans is perfect. And just really working through where you identify those imperfections were and what are the things worth spending time on and what are the things that just aren't that important. I hate misspelled words a whole lot. One of my biggest pet peeves, but you know, if there's one here and there, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to yeah. kill people. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, in my past life as an auditor, not that anyone was dying because of a set of financial statements, but we had to decide what's the most risky, where do I spend more time? Because yeah. I do work for a for-profit firm, and uh -huh. you could follow rabbit holes all the way down forever. Um, and having to say, that's not risky enough for me to follow that down. Yep. I have to focus on something else. It's definitely a learned skill. Definitely. Oh. Still learning that skill. Constantly. Plenty of rabbit holes to chase every day. <laughs> yeah, every single day. Yeah, agreed. So thinking of your role as the Greenville office manager, and you still also doing project management mm -hmm. work. How do you find time for all that in a day? Well, you don't, <laughs> and you never get it all done. Um, but, you know, I'm constantly trying to reprioritize and understand where my best hours should be spent. And so that's been hard for me. I, I love to take on everything and do all the things. I actually love every little part of our business. Um, so it's hard to say no, but trying to not take on responsibilities. Like I, even last year, I took on a project responsibility that I, you know, committed 20 hours a week and I was, the other 20 was going to be the rest of my projects in the office gig. And that turned into, you know, it really needed 60 hours a week. And mm. so I have, I have transitioned back kind of out of that gig and just constantly reprioritizing. Yeah. I feel like that is, and, and really like trying to align what are my career goals with okay. how I'm spending my time. Do you feel like you have to give up on maybe some cool projects because it's not aligning with yes. the career goal? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and everything, I, I'm a process improvement person to some extent, or like I just see how, oh, we could be doing this better or this better. And I, those are the things that I like to chase down that, you know, uh, someone told me once, it's great to be able to identify problems, but you do not have to be the one to fix them all. And um, trying to get that realization and just know you can't be involved in every awesome thing that comes up. Right. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's hard, though. I it know. is hard. Because when you find a problem, you want to be the one to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. I heard something recently, and I mean, I think it's been said many, many times before, but it's when you say yes to something else, you say no to, yep. to another thing in your life. And if you look at it in that frame of mind, like that makes it a little bit easier, but I forget that all the time. I, I was having a discussion with a friend who we've had a, like a, a talk about how they overcommit all the time. And they said, okay, so I've got this. I finally decided to like 
put this onto someone else. Like, I'm going to be able to get this off my plate. So that'll make room for this and this and this. And I said, no, if your plate is already too full, when you take something off the plate, it didn't make room. It just made it more manageable. Yeah, I still have not accepted that concept myself. But that's okay. We'll get there. Constant work in progress. (laughs) So what is the most challenging part of your job? And then what is the most rewarding part? So the challenging part is no doubt the balancing of things and, again, figuring out the right priorities. Um, I will say engineering is hard, and it's it's hard to balance the needs of any project on the technical side of things with efficiency and cost, and mm-hmm. um, clients can be demanding. They have, you know, budgets are always constrained despite, you know, all this money pumping through the, the government right now. But you know, I think it's just the balance part. The most rewarding part is definitely the people side of things and the relationships with our internal team and our clients and just, you know, you guys. Yeah. I just love, I love people and I love building relationships with people. So, yeah. And it's nice to be part of growth and development. And the older I get, the more rewarding that becomes because I feel like I actually have something to contribute. <laughs> um, where, you know, for a long time, you, and, and it's crazy, we have this wrong idea in our heads that we have to be at a point or have to be um, an expert at something to do that. But that's not true at all. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, when I think about like our mentorship program, mm-hmm. how many people we went to and asked if they would be a mentor that are really, really great people. And they said, oh, I don't think I'm qualified. Exactly. Like, qualified. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I've got a, a mentee relationship and I learned more, I think, from her. A lot of times I'm just like, oh, man, I, I, you know, I took a lot away from that conversation. And I think that's something we have to do is that reverse mentoring as well. Mm-hmm. Is that through the crew mentor mentee program or is that No, work? it is totally unrelated. I got involved with the Furman, um, it's called the WAD, Women of Distinction Program with the Furman women's basketball team. Cool. And so got connected with a women's basketball player and she was amazing. So. That's wow. And her mother, incidentally, was an Olympic basketball player. And I know nothing about actual <laughs> basketball, but that's okay. It's not why I was there. Um, we all agreed I could not teach her anything about basketball. <laughs> Maybe she'll teach you. I mean, oh yeah, I did learn things. I did again. You're gonna be hooping it up. Yeah, never know. <laughs> Might not connect with a basket, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to dribble. Yeah, it's fun. That's true. Um, so, do you have a mentor then? I don't have, and I've never had a formal mentor. But yes, I mean, I've got a ton of people that are influential to me and my career, um, and that I go to for advice. That I would certainly consider mentors. And I mean, I think it's great to have a formal mentor, but seek those relationships anywhere and anyhow. And, you know, I think about the people that I do go to and they're people whose leadership styles I like or they do something interesting that I just want to understand more about. But I think it's good to have diversity with your, you know, people you seek out for mentorship as well. Yeah, I agree. So do you look for people like inside and outside your company when you're thinking of definitely advice? And I mean, it's great to talk to people in other industries because there's plenty of things that you can get laser focused on. You know, certainly most of most of the people that I talk to are within my business, um, at least within the same industry or within my own company. And we do a lot of different things. And so that's, you know, there's plenty of diversity there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think of other crew members in particular, just thinking about this today, um, and Christina Moyer, like she's been somebody that I have... I've talked to many times and always take some really good nuggets away from. Right. Same. Yeah. I do think, too, I feel like as we get, as we progress further in careers, 
like you said, so much at the beginning is that technical, being an engineer, mm-hmm. being an accountant, being an architect. And then we're just kind of expected as we get up there to know all these other soft skills of how to be with people and how to develop people under you and how to talk with potential clients. Yeah. And that's where we all kind of come to this big mixing pot of we're all trying to do very similar things mm-hmm. just from different technical Absolutely. persuasions, which is why it's really fun to be a part of something like Crew, mm-hmm. where I get to talk to engineers and architects and bankers and lawyers and finding yeah. the similarities and the differences yeah. at the same time. And sometimes you just need encouragement, just like, for sure. yeah, like you're you're doing everything right. Keep going. Like, yep. you know, it's going to happen eventually. Like yeah. you're going to get there. So An occasional commiseration. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and some glasses of wine. Exactly. Uh, so you mentioned when you moved to Greenville, it yeah. wasn't like an amazing opportunity for you specifically. So how do you feel like your career growth has happened? Like, what did the trajectory look like? Were there moments where you thought, wow, I'm plateauing. How do I get out of this? Looking at those transition points. It, it has been a real, like a life journey to be perfectly honest. So I, you know, I'm from Columbia. I lived there my whole life, went to school, moving to the upstate. My husband had lots of friends and family here. This was not far away. It wasn't um, difficult from that perspective. And on the personal side of things, everything was great. I just met tons of great people and it was wonderful. But from a work perspective, I really was a satellite person to our Columbia bridge team. Even though there was a design team started here, they weren't doing bridge projects. And that was my expertise. And so, you know, for the first, I mean, well, even today, I've been driving back and forth to Columbia, South Carolina to be um, interfacing with that team and now a broader team weekly or at least twice Mm -hmm. a month, except for COVID. I mean, it Mm -hmm. was the craziest thing. I mean, but I always had to, but wanted to go the extra mile to stay relevant and to be part of the team. And there is no, you know, FaceTime is important. Um, And so, you know, that was harder, though. Everybody else wasn't getting up and, you know, starting their day two hours earlier and ending it two hours later just to do that. So that was a challenge, but it was one that was worthwhile. I did have opportunities with some of the diversification of our services here. So I learned some different things and got to probably manage um, some of those projects a little sooner than I might have otherwise. But then with the acquisitions is where the real challenges really were because the first acquisition um, seemed like it was going to be this great thing. Honestly, it was really not a great thing, at least for our Greenville office. Mm -hmm. And there were lots of layoffs. We felt constantly like we would not have an office. And I was fortunate to, you know, have some job security, but I didn't want to work, you know, at that time from home. I wanted to work in a thriving, busy office and be around people because I love people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are what I call the dark days. And, you know, by the time HDR acquired that firm in 2015, um, it was, it thinks it had just been pretty down for a while, seeing lots of people, you know, lights go off and offices all around me. And here, here mm-hmm. we are still here. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't leave for a lot of reasons. And the economy was, you know, still pretty poor in some of the early time frame of that first acquisition. But I love my team that I started with. I still work with a ton of those people today. We've all been working together for 20 plus years. And, you know, I think they're the best. And so I wanted to stay with my team of people that I just felt like that was the most important thing to me. And, you know, during that time when I didn't have a lot of work opportunities, I got involved in organizations, had leadership roles and other aspects of my life, trained for a 
50K <laughs> and did other crazy things outside wow. of work where I was, yeah. you know, honing my mental, mental skills and things like that. But when HDR, you know, when they came on board, we were down to two people in the Greenville office that were office folks. And we had a couple field people that were far out. And um, so that was at the end of 2016 when we, you know, that acquisition had had about a year to stick. And um, at that point, it was kind of like, I, I don't care what happens. I'm going to say what I think needs to be said. You know, the, I probably had a chance to get a job somewhere else if I really needed to. And um so I was able to be pretty honest with what I thought we needed to do if we wanted to have an office here, and they totally got behind it and wanted to have a presence here. And now we have not two, but we've got 25, seven, something like that folks reporting to the office. And they've been super supportive. But, you know, when I that was not, you know, handed to me. That was a, I decided this is what I was going to try to do and make happen. Yeah. So. Were you nervous having that conversation with them? Like, they might just tell me to to get out? Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. I was, at that point, you know, I don't want to say prepared to to do it, but I was getting close to that to point. It just needed to happen. Yeah. Like, I, you know, they HDR does a ton of things. And I was like, if they can't, if we can't make this work with their um, kind of staff depth and background, like, we're just not going to, just not going to make it work. Yeah. So. But it was good. And so at the end of the day... That has been the biggest opportunity for me that seemed like I had no opportunities for a long time. And hindsight is everything and perspective. And I think sometimes you just have to live through those things that seem like they're all negative um, when they're not. They never are. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty awesome. I'm glad I haven't had to go through any buyouts, you know? It is. It's crazy. It's, it's, a, it's crazy to change accounting softwares like seven times, Ooh. which I feel like every oh, firm yeah. right before we were acquired— had just changed accounting software, right. which is really funny. But that was very impactful to, you yeah. know, my job. Well, yeah. <laughs> learning, learning something new constantly, new ways and whatnot, and new people. Right. Did you feel like, so one of the things, a reason that I've stayed at Cherry Beckert for as long as I have is because I feel like I've built up goodwill, yeah. right? Like I have people in almost every office that I'm really close with that, you know, I travel to other offices, honestly, just to see people and, yes. and hang out in that office. Um did you feel like that went away a little bit when someone new was coming in? Um, no. Okay. No, not really. Um, I think there was always uncertainty with the new regime, but I, again, people I see people as opportunities, not for you know career growth, but just as I just love building new relationships. So mm-hmm. I loved the idea of having a new thing that we could do or sell to clients or um, something that just makes our team better at what yeah. we're doing. So I've, I've actually loved that opportunity. And now there's just like so many people that work at my company. I could never meet them all, but it's we'll a, try. Yeah. It's a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah. I one time pitched this idea to like our head of learning that, you know, a lot of our problems were just, we needed more communication. And I think that we could, I had this whole idea and she said, Marina, I'm not just going to send you on a road show to every office. <laughs> <laughs> Darn, but you tried. I did yeah. try. No. But I could do really well at that. I said, if we could get everyone in a big circle, we'd be talking about so many things. <laughs> no, communication and building a network. I mean, whether it's within your firm or beyond, it's so key. Yeah. And fun. And being able to capture the opinions of the new people. Because yeah. I do feel like we have this new generation. I, that makes me sound so old. But a new generation of people coming out of college that came through a pandemic and have different ideas about how work should look. Yeah. And there's merit to some of those ideas. And in order for corporations to be able to keep moving, you have to figure out how to translate what, like in my firm, the hierarchy is 
partners, what these partners know and what they've seen in the past, but also what's coming in and be able to translate ideas between the two in a way that seems amenable to both. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that is going to be a real skill to be able to bring to the table and, um, you know, labor people challenges and having enough people. And um, that's going to be, that's going to be the big crisis. Have you guys struggled with that right now? Definitely. Yeah. Um, So many people are hiring. There's so much work going on. Everyone is very busy. Um, And, you know, I think it's just hard to train new people, too. Mm -hmm. And so keeping people adequately engaged and um, interested. We've certainly had some new people start that were um, right out of college that then decided to have a career change a year a year in. And, you know, my big takeaway from that is, and this is really specific to civil engineering and very specific to transportation, and we need to be as an industry in colleges more and in high schools more and really right. understanding or make, helping people understand what the job looks like and entails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel like when I was in college, I had no idea what an accountant would no. do. I, zero idea. I showed up my first day of work. I guess we'll just spend two years here and see what happens. Exactly. Had a master's degree. And I mean, you don't know how to do anything. They gave me a set of bridge plans and I was like, oh, I don't really understand what any of these things are. And yeah, we struggle with that architecturally. Like school is is all theory based and it's trying to Mm -hmm. teach you to flex your creative resources and be as creative as possible. But they don't focus on, like, the things that you need to do in your everyday job. Like, you know, they don't, when I was going to school, they didn't even teach you software. And it's like, how am I supposed to be valuable to an employee coming out or employer yeah. coming out of school when I don't have these skills? Yeah, I can, like, design, but. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, like, I'm not always going to be that person coming out of school that's going to be doing the design. Like, I need to know how to produce drawings and understand the technical knowledge behind all that and it's not being taught yeah um, it's anyway. hard too to go from a theory based where it feels exciting right it's it's like I love accounting theory and thinking about why our <laughs> double entry system is so beautiful and works so well right and then you go to work and it's pretty mundane the yeah. first couple of years because you're just doing yeah really technical stuff and so being able to find the people that will be creative and say, okay, but like for two years, just don't be as creative. Just listen to how we're going to tell you how to do it. And then we expect them to then flex that creative muscle later. That's right. And it's hard to to build that relationship with someone who was maybe so excited about their career. And then the reality reality of it in the very beginning is not as exciting. But if you build that first couple of years, then you get to the exciting stuff. Yeah. How do we show that vision? That's right. And and really, like, you feel like you're trying to teach patients all the time, but it does take time. And, I mean, you you have to build, in my opinion, some technical credibility and skill before you know how to, you know, manage the process. That's you right. know, have to learn how to do the work. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, with transportation projects in particular— I'm sure you've noticed, take a really long time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's the other thing is, you know, if it takes four years to develop a project and then a few to construct, I mean, the opportunities to manage a project are not coming out every day. I mean, they're large projects. They take a really long time to deliver. And um, the whole process just takes forever. And Mm -hmm. so it's, you got to have patience because they're just not, you know, there's not a brand new 8585 interchange being constructed every day of the week. And the chance for you to be the one to have significant involvement is 
Yeah. Another challenge to just our specific industry. It's true. Yeah. Do you feel like you're able to build the like smaller projects? Do they help build some of the same skills as the big projects or is there a very large disparity? Um, There is some disparity. Um, There's plenty of things about small projects that take the same amount of effort as a large project. So you need like 20 percent, you know, your budget to manage a small project. But you know, scale scale is important, um, but I think it's great to learn on smaller projects because the magnitude or the risk of your mistakes are, you know, usually a little yeah. bit less as well. Um, but I love big projects. That's kind of something I've enjoyed working on over the years. And I think, you know, it, it's just, that, again, that prioritization of what are the needle movers? Where do you really need to focus your energy? You kind of have to learn a lot of that mm-hmm. when you're working on some of these bigger guys. So how do you go get these bigger projects? I mean, you know, being Greenville office lead, I'm sure you're involved with that to some extent, going out and getting work. Yes. So for most transportation infrastructure projects in South Carolina, the SCDOT is is really our primary client. Mm-hmm. Um, although a lot of the counties, Charleston County, you know, have large sales tax programs and they are doing a lot of their own projects. But um, engineering is a qualifications selection process, according to the Brooks Act. And so we've, you know, we put Qual's proposals together for a project-specific project. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, that's for anything that's a traditional bid-build. Then we design it, and, you know, it goes to construction. On design-build, we partner with contractors, and, you know, we kind of have to market ourselves to contractors. And then also we're putting a Mm -hmm. Qual's-based proposal together um, to get selected. And then, of course, it variety of scoring criteria after that gotcha. for project. Okay. Wow. So it really is a lot of responding to like RFPs and stuff like that. A ton. And so locally, you know, cities, counties, we're doing work with the city of Greenville. Um, you know, I think they just had a, a advertisement come out and 36 firms submitted on, wow. a, on a variety of categories. Mm-hmm. But so there's a lot of competition. You know, a few years ago when we increased the gas tax, which funds most of our transportation projects to some extent in South Carolina, um, lots of firms came in from outside of South Carolina, so the competition is really steeper than it ever was. So. Do you find you win on price, or is it on something else? Is it the relationship or the quality? Oh, it all of the above. Yeah. Um, I think there's plenty of clients, and certainly the ones who are really delivering want to select you based on quality and mm-hmm. in relationships because you've proven yourselves to them, and they they want to work with you again and again. Um, but price is just a factor that's hard to get out of. Even though yeah. we do have quals-based selection, a lot of times, you know, we'll have to submit a price for a design in a sealed envelope to be opened later. So, you know, you have wow. to balance you have to balance all the things. And, um, you know, working for a larger firm, I will say, can be challenging to do smaller projects. Yes. So we're yeah. doing them. Yeah. We want to work locally. I think it's important to be doing work in the community. But, um, you know, balancing that portfolio and, and making sure you've got the right resources. And, you know, a lot of times folks that are used to working on really gigantic projects or design build projects, it's hard to have the kind of small local project mentality. So finding mm-hmm. the right balance of staff to work yeah. on projects is important. Mm-hmm. For sure. So what do you think the next five years look like for you? So I definitely want to keep working on expanding and growing here in the upstate. I want, I really hope in the next five to 10 years, my reach can broaden a little bit beyond that. And it really goes to, again, just people and processes. And I really want to be involved in a lot of ways we do business. And so, the you know, just want to have my hands in lots of things. 
just to be honest. So. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I think it'll be a lot of the same stuff I'm doing now, but maybe a little broader is a goal. Would you be traveling more then? That was my next question, yeah. <laughs> yes, I would assume so, which I'm totally down for. You know, I have one daughter in college. Yeah. so Is she at the other university? She is, <laughs> oh, yes. Man. Now I have more orange than I have garnet and black, which is crazy. <laughs> but, you know, they're getting my money, so. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I've, again, I've kind of threw that mode of having children at home. And um, my husband's, you know, still works doing his crazy job with athletic directing and high school coaching, football coaching. So, you know, we both just still pretty invested in what we've got going on in our careers uh, for a long time to come. Cool. So what do you, what advice would you have for someone that's interested in either transportation or commercial real estate? You know, it's all about strategic assessment to me. You know, really, whatever you're interested in doing, if it's a side project or you know, a career change, I just think you really got to take time to know yourself and do the work because I don't think everybody just knows um, themselves or what they really want as well as might seem obvious or even their strengths and weaknesses. Take mm -hmm. real stock of that and then do some work. Talk to people that are in the industry. You know, commercial real estate is obviously very broad. There's people that do lots of different things and um, really understand what their lifestyle is like, what their day looks like. Um, to see where you think you align most. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times we think we want to do something that we, that really we don't, it's not really what we want to do. Right. I'm guilty of that. I think everybody's had something, they're like, oh, I'm going to love doing this. And then they realize, nope, that's not, not really for me. Yeah. yeah. What was an example for you or something you thought that you would enjoy doing? And then once you started it, you're like, eh, never mind. <laughs> Oh, okay. How do I not incriminate myself? Uh, <laughs> Something she's actively doing right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think, oh, hmm. <laughs> I think sometimes I think I want to do like all business development. Mm -hmm. And then I think sometimes I, I really love operations and I want to do this or that. And so I think anytime I get myself in a position where I'm doing all of one thing, and, and really this project that I was working on, and I, it was consuming my time, or it should have consumed my time. And it's not that I don't want to work on projects. I love working on the project. I'm still working on the project. Um, but I think that's been my main thing is just that I want to do this or that. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to be happy in a career where it's, it's pretty one-sided. One yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is hard then because you have to figure out how to split your time in a reasonable way, which I struggle with. And constantly. every gig doesn't align itself that way. Like there could be an opportunity that, you know, that I pass up on um, because I just kind of know that about myself now. Mm -hmm. And I'm really trying to be honest with myself about some possible opportunities. Like, is that really something like might sound good, but do I really want to? spend all day in the numbers or do I really mm -hmm. want to have it all on my head to win work? You know, yeah. just kind mm -hmm. of that wide swing between things. Do you take any specific time and and how often if you do to really assess yourself and, and think about what you want to do going forward? I have been trying to do that a little bit more. I probably get on a kick every six weeks and then I'll I'll have a journal. I do think everybody should journal and like at a minimum keep a post-it note on your desk and say, here's what I loved that I did today. Here's my favorite thing that I did today. And, you know, what energizes me or just the same, here's what I really didn't think was as much fun today. Now, any job is going to contain the not fun right. and, and the fun, right. but I 
I have in the last five years been trying hard to think more about that. You know, done the strength finder assessment. I think that's great. Everyone should do that. Um, and and really understand what all that means and and try to overlay those sorts of things with your actual job opportunities and career opportunities. And you might find that you're in a situation currently that doesn't align at all. And, you know, it might be the impetus to make a change. I think yeah, that's a really true. good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be starting to keep post-it notes on my desk. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> mean, I like again, process like. of elimination or process of like, there's more, there's more things that I loved that look like that than mm-hmm. that I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's times in my life that I've really had those moments where you just get this feeling that that comes over you and it's usually like on a vacation when I've like shut everything out and I'm kind of bored to be honest yeah. and like my brain like starts to have time to interpret feelings and things like that yes. or when I'm driving yes. is another example because I can't do anything except for drive it's just those moments when I can get my brain to just kind of inward focus and then all of a sudden yeah. I have this epiphany and it's only happened like four times in my life to be honest like it hasn't happened a lot but those moments yeah. of clarity are so valuable and then you're just like ah, like this is, this is how I feel. This is definitely the next direction that I want to head. Um, And so I think those post-it notes are the same kind of thing. It's trying to almost force that epiphany. That's right. It is trying to force that because they don't, they don't happen. I don't think just, I don't know. I'm like a real head down, get it done, list maker, list Mm -hmm. achiever, you know, and I, I personally have to be very intentional or I just kind of don't know where I'm at. I struggle with the same thing. I've started, um, like, with my notes, I have to start that whole, like, top three priority for the day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And even taking time, like, yesterday afternoon, I spent two hours and I cleaned out my entire email inbox and I set up this giant brain dump of all the things that I think should be done and split between little tasks and big projects and things for crew and things for work. And having those times to just, like, sit there and think about how many things I need to do really helps yeah. clarify what has to be done this week. Does that give you a little week. bit of a panic attack, though? It no. sounds very If anything, yeah. for some reason, when I know that I have a lot of things in my brain that aren't anywhere, I'm nervous that I'm not capturing them. Yeah. Fair. And so when I am able to put them all out there, I feel so zen. <laughs> because once I create my list for Monday, I think, oh, I don't have to do anything else today for Sunday. And yeah. there's been days where my top three, I finish before eight o'clock. And then I'm able to look at all the other tasks and say like, well, what, what would I want to do today if I finish my top three? Yeah. And not, that's not every day. Sure. It's like sure. two days in the past two weeks, but. Well, yeah. it's my, freeing. My time is the middle of the night. Like I'm a terrible sleeper. Oh no. And so the brain is usually going at 3 a.m. in some capacity and you know, writing down things at that time. A friend of mine was like, you've just got to start doing this because yeah. if nothing else, like you can't, you can't calm the mind if you don't just put some of these things down. And I have found over time, like really just writing things down, not just a to-do list, but just how, how I thought about something. Again, mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm all motivated to spend more time doing this, but um, just having something handy to yeah. write down and having a notebook in your purse, like it really matters. Yeah. I'm a fan. It is hard, though. I need to do that. I'm bad at journaling and or writing down my thoughts. I wish I could speak oh, yeah. them. I'm a verbal processor. I don't know. So this was going to sound very ridiculous, and I will say that up front. But <laughs> I do not like to journal because it's too slow of a process. Yeah. Like yeah. I do know exactly what you mean. My brain is moving 100 miles an hour. My hand can only move two. Yeah. And it's like I can't, get, I can't get it out quick enough to satisfy me. Yeah. What if? 
voice to text. Right, and voice then to text, it like yeah. an audio yeah. recording that just transcribes itself. But I, I, I would just imagine. rather type. Like if I could just type it, okay. that's, that's fast enough. For me, but I, then that seems weird for, because you're right, there is a, a brain hand connection yeah, with journaling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I do know exactly what you mean, but I, I'm just, I will lifelong, I like to write. Yeah. And write. I also do, but I also, I, I, I go through I stages. <laughs> I go through, I'll have two months where everything needs to be a handwritten list. And then I go through stages where if I tried to handwrite a list, I'd lose my mind. And so yeah. I go to the computer and I'm typing yeah. up. And it's sad when it ends boxes. up taking like three pages of paper. And then you're like, oh. That is sad. This is just yeah, this is too much. much. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that does get yeah. overwhelming. <laughs> you want to take it to someone and say, look at all the things I, I know. Do. Help. <laughs> help. 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 I know. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Oh. All right. So what's the best advice you've ever received? I think what has stuck with me the most is to bring solutions, not problems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, probably it meant something to me because I have a tendency to, again, point out these process flaws or like, well, why aren't we doing this? We should be doing this. And but that's not really a solution. Like just identifying here's what really was terrible about what happened today. You know, if I have an opportunity to talk with a mentor or somebody in you know my leadership team or upper management, any capacity, like really make that time meaningful. And if there's something that you see that you know needs to be changed or a career change that you want to make, bring a solution, like sell sell it and come up with a way to impact what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Again, we're all here to make a positive impact um, around us. And you, you can't do that if you don't, you're not part of trying to find solutions. So, And I feel yeah. like people respond better. In that oh, way. Oh, yeah. yes. You're much more likely to have an, a, a change affected if you've already figured things out for them. And often, I mean, I have had that asked of me, like, well, what do you think we should do about it? I'm just like, uh, and so right. I just don't want to be in that position again. So really try hard. I do think it does. I, I That's amazing advice. I think some parts of why we don't do that is because if you bring a solution, there's a chance that someone will say, I don't like that solution and I want a different one. That's right. And it's the, having the humility to say, like, I brought you a solution. And sometimes that rough draft of a solution needs some tweaking. And yes. I, mm-hmm. I have to have more information. But I found, too, that you have to have something on the paper. When someone yeah. comes to talk to you, if, if you don't have something to start with, a solution to say, like, OK, I can definitely pick holes in this. But to come up with a whole new solution, that's. Hard. Well, that's right. And if you just say, you know, COVID was hard, what should we do now? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's everyone is so busy. And so if it's if it's harder to tackle because no one has started tackling it, it's just going to get put at the bottom of the list. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. totally. In many cases. For so. sure. What do you do when they say that's a great solution? You implement it. And you're like, yeah, well, that certainly happened before. Yeah. And I think you have to kind of know that going in or have a great suggestion for who you think would be ideal in yeah. implementing. Yeah. In, in all seriousness. And I think that takes some humility, too, because we I want to be the one to fix everything. I mean, I'd like guilty as charged over here. But, um, you know, I think it's great because then you also are showing you're kind of providing opportunities in many cases for someone else to yeah. grow mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Cool. Well, are you ready for our rapid fire? Okay. This has been awesome. So, okay. so what do yeah. you like to do for fun? 
other than just run? Because I remember one time you said, I got drunk one night and I signed me and my husband up for a mar- half marathon in Minneapolis. <laughs> I and mean, I said, that I'm would never happen to me. Totally guilty of that. One time we, I was having some, uh, hanging out with friends and we decided to hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, so Was no, that after drinking? It was. Oh, it was. I'm I get, a theme here. I get oh, yeah. less and less motivated yeah. to be active. Oh, no. I mean, we're travel-based, not exercise-based. Well, that too. So love to travel, mm-hmm. love to eat. We already talked about that in, yeah. in the pre-show here. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's good that I like to exercise and hike and do all those sorts of things. But I love to, you know, I love to socialize. And I love, I do like to read. I, I used to love to read, but don't spend as much time on that anymore. But yeah. Well, speaking of travel, what's your favorite place to travel? So just based on statistics, um, Sanibel Island in Florida is probably the place my family has gone the most. So that's kind of our re- every other year or so recurring vacation. And it's the it's the chill vacation. Um, yeah. But also love Boston and San Francisco are some of our favorite cities. But my, my husband, daughter, we just love traveling anywhere and everywhere and love road trips, love flying, love just seeing new things. I think it is good for the soul to like lay eyes on things that you have never seen before. Mm-hmm. And so we try really hard to just come up with new things to go see and do. Agreed. That's awesome. Um, do you have a favorite book or podcast? So I can never commit to a favorite anything hardly, but <laughs> I am listening to, and if my daughter watches this later, she will roll her eyes as far back as they can go. But I'm listening to um, It's Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins on Audible. And it's, he's a former Navy SEAL, and it's all about mental toughness. And, like, he's done all these amazing physical things, um, but it's really to just hone his mind so he knows how he can overcome hard things when life throws it at him. But I'm, like, so obsessed. I'm not done with it yet and had told about 65 people that they should go <laughs> really? immediately download it and listen okay. to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you will probably sign up for a marathon. Um, Ooh, I don't but, know. Yeah. I think my running days are <laughs> yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think mine are too. <laughs> But no, can't hurt me, David Goggins. I'm all about it right now. Okay, interesting. That's cool. Um, what is your current TV show that you're binge watching, or is there a TV show you're binge so, watching? Oh yes, I'm like three probably. So never watched The Sopranos. So we're in the process of watching <gasps> I just Sopranos. It. Really? Okay, yes. so I feel better. Okay, I just started it. <laughs> really? What? Yeah, it's okay. random. It's really old. That is random. It's really old. Wonderful. I think we're in season four. Um, so it's been great. Come talk to me when you finish it. Okay, I definitely will. Um, then Vikings. I watch. That's my loner. Like I work in the mornings and half watch TV, and um, so I'm watching Vikings and then working moms. The current I do season. love that. And probably I've seen one episode of Stranger Things. So yes, mm-hmm. I always have like 14 shows that I'm watching at one time. Did you watch 1883? Because I know you're a big Yellowstone fan. No, I haven't yet because I haven't right. got Paramount Plus. It's a little bit different. But it's oh. interesting. <laughs> okay, when I'm out of all the other things, yeah, I'm gonna think about 18. Yeah, I, Tim McGraw does a great job. I heard. I mean, I've heard and great things, but Yellowstone, oh, love. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 not Yellowstone. It's very different, but similar. It's it's weird because it's obviously yeah. a pre, but it has a different vibe to it. Just a lot. The frontier. It was, out it, west. it was tough. It was rough. It yeah. was so rough. Yeah, that's fair. So. Yeah, my daughter's reading Angela's Ashes, and I was like, I vaguely remember that being one of the most sad things that I've ever read. That sounds very so, sad. Yeah. Mm. Okay. But yeah. Um, a favorite restaurant in Greenville, and what do you order there? Oh, so this is funny because it is an old restaurant that's been here forever. Portofino's is my family place that we go. Very good. It is um, Italian, American-Italian, you know, but um, chicken with tomato cream sauce. Mm. Favorite. Where is Portofino? So, it's on Haywood. Yeah. As you're going up yes, towards um, yes. 
or sorry, it's not. Yeah, Haywood as they're going towards Pelham. Okay. Yes. I yeah, know I'm trying is. to think of the name of that. Orchard Park. Orchard Park. Orchard Park. Yeah. yeah. It's a family owned restaurant. It's been mm-hmm. here forever. And they know what, you know, you want to drink when you sit down. Have you ever I mean, tried this, like, right. I don't forget what it's called, but it's pasta. And it, I call it the pocket purses. Oh, but it's um, like their little purses. Tortolacci. Yes. I have. Also very it's good. So good. And yeah, I can't eat dairy anymore, so I never have it. But I haven't really gosh, had anything so that I didn't like. And I mean, again, it's, it's, it's just like comfort. Mm, totally. Like it's our place that we go when they know who we are. It's so nice to have a place like that. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taco Sushi is mine. The waiter knows mm. my order. And even when people walk in and I can't walk in, you know, like one time they went in and ordered me the wrong thing. And when I came inside, he's like, you actually wanted this right. Uh, <laughs> see, it's the best feeling, right? Lots of other great places because, yeah. you know, I eat out all the time. But um, that's got to be the favorite, again, statistically speaking. Love cool. it. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. This has been great. Well, I mean, we've guys. talked so many times about we just wish that we could have you around all the time. Well, so. clearly, um, what I want to be able to do for fun is golf. So stay tuned. Yes. Stay tuned. Well, we're planning a trip to later Kiowa. this year uh-huh. to Kiowa. Yeah, the puppy really, like, oh, stymied yeah. my uh, my efforts. My husband even was going to take me to play golf um, for our anniversary, but I was you like— You can bring eh. a puppy onto a golf course, yeah? Wow. Well, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you could bring a puppy to Kiwa. I mean, yeah. What kind of puppy? He's very cute, Boston Terrier. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's only fourteen weeks old today, so we're still in that puppy monster. But when he's so when he's cute. great, he's just yeah, that's awesome. Lump of sugar. Okay, well, we'll still put it out there, and hopefully, you'll say yes by that point. You'll that's have good. You'll have a few months to to train him. Okay, I like it. And you can golf as much or as little as you want with us. Sure. I haven't golfed in. I can drive the golf cart. That's, that's equally as fun. I mean, yeah. I feel like I could do that today. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have. I know what you're doing later. <laughs> but, She's yeah. in transportation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Me. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Yep. The Candidly Crew podcast is sponsored by Truist. Truist is proud to be the 2022 Marble Sponsor for Crew Upstate and the sponsor of this podcast series. Truist teammates are driven by a common purpose, to inspire and build better lives and communities. They strive every day to make things better for their clients, teammates, and stakeholders. Truist envisions a world with equal access to economic opportunities. Truist proudly supports the mission of Crew, to transform the commercial real estate industry by advancing women globally. Crew Upstate's truest contact is Michelle Dodge, SVP. She can be reached at michelle.dodge at truest.com.